0: Good morning. You know, some days I feel like this band has said everything that needs to be said, ushered us into the presence of the Lord so much that uh, I just want to keep worshiping. But on the schedule, it's my turn to get up here, and I uh, I think God's given us something to look at in his word together, too. Um, But I am so grateful for those who help us to worship, whether it's in the sound booth or the media booth or on the stage or behind the scenes. Aren't we blessed to be able to come here and just have this feast before us of spiritual food every day? I feel very blessed. Uh, As we're worshiping here, I'm always aware that there are people... Brothers and sisters in Christ that are worshiping all over the place. This morning, there's about 400 teenagers worshiping in Syracuse at our conference youth gathering. There's a group from uh, from our church, which is why my pew is so empty this morning. My three kids and my husband are all there with um, some others from our church and uh, they're worshiping and praising God this morning and hearing from God's words. So pray for them as, uh, as we worship this morning. It's a good day to worship God together. Well, let's look at God's word, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 12 is our passage today, verses 7 through 9. No, seven through 10. Verses seven through 10. I'm going to start halfway through verse seven. Second Corinthians 12, seven through 10. Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul writing here to the church in Corinth. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word for us today. God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you care. Thank you that you're speaking to us By the power of your spirit, may we hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen. A minister noticed a young boy praying off to the side of the room after youth group one night. This young man was kneeling and praying fervently, and so the the pastor decided to just kind of walk over near and see if he could see what was going on, and he heard what sounded like this boy saying over and over again, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo. He thought, I wonder what that's all about. So when the young man finished praying, he he came, came up to him and said, hey, I heard you praying. It was yeah, it, it was great to see you praying so, so fervently over there. It, it's, I, I just wondered. I, it sounded like you were saying, Tokyo, Tokyo, Tokyo what was that all about? And the young man said, well, I took a big test in geography today, and I'm just praying as hard as I can that God will make Tokyo the capital of France. <laughs> Does prayer work? Does prayer work? Does prayer always get an answer? What about those prayers that don't seem to go anywhere, don't seem to do anything? Do some prayers just go unanswered? At the beginning of the uh, the, the Daytona 500 in 2001, Chaplain Max Helton prayed with Dale Earnhardt. Earnhardt asked him, just pray that I'll be wise in putting the car at the right place at the right time. Pray that I'll be able to drive with wisdom. And holding hands, they prayed for wisdom and safety. On the last lap of that race, Earnhardt lost his life in a crash. Does prayer work? Do some prayers just go unanswered? What do we do about that sense that there are prayers that are just not listened to or or that they don't make a difference? Why should we pray when sometimes it doesn't seem to make any difference at all? You could probably make a list, I know I could, of things that you have Really laid out before the Lord in prayer, really really begged God for people that we have have begged God to heal, who died, people that we uh, we prayed that would would come home, prodigal children who are still in a far off land, marriages that we prayed would be saved that ended in divorce, jobs that we really needed that got offered to someone else, addictions that we prayed would would be broken that still hold our loved one in their grip. We could probably make a long list. When you have prayed and prayed with everything you've got, you've put it all out on the line before the Lord and things don't seem to change, it's discouraging, isn't it? It's not just discouraging, it's, it's heartbreaking, exhausting. David, in Psalm 69, lays it out. He's been in this situation himself. Listen to what he says in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire, I can't find a foothold. I am in deep water, and the floods overwhelm me. I am exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Have you been there? Maybe you're there today in a a room this size, There's bound to be some wrestling today with God, bound to be some knots that need to be untied that we've prayed and prayed and prayed over and and we haven't seen God's hand moving yet. Do some prayers just go unanswered? What do we do with passages in the scriptures like this? John 14, 13, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask anything in my name and I will do it. That's what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 17, 20, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. What do we do with passages of Scripture like that? This is not easy stuff to deal with. You've probably heard someone say, well, if you're praying with the right amount of faith, then you will see mountains move. you gotta, you got to believe enough Sometimes, though, it seems like we do pray with a lot of faith, and still we don't get what we're asking for, and we're left wondering, do we just need to be better Christians somehow? Do we need to just somehow figure out how to do this prayer thing right? Do some prayers just go unanswered? And here we have the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians If you've closed that, open back up to it. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul here is in kind of a wrestling match with the church that he's writing to. He had brought them the gospel, introduced them to Jesus, but then, as he often did, he had to move on because that was his calling, to keep going to new places and sharing Christ with them. So he's keeping in touch with this church in Corinth via letters and messengers going back and forth. And since Paul has left, other leaders have come in who seemed like, in a lot of ways, better leaders than Paul. They, they were more slick, more confident, um, and they kind of were letting people know that they were the real apostles and people shouldn't listen that much to Paul. And so Paul is kind of defending himself here, He's saying, I'm not going to boast like those other guys. I'm going to boast in Jesus Christ, but I'm also just going to let you know that God's been at work in my life as well. And he shares with them in the beginning of of chapter 12 here, this vision that he had, vision of being caught up into heaven. And he says, it's so amazing. He can't even put words to it. So he says, if I'm going to boast, I'm not going to boast about amazing things like that. I'm going to boast in what Jesus Christ has done. And then he shares this experience that he had beginning with verse 7. He says he's had this amazing revelations given to him, this vision. But he says in order that I would not become conceited. When I lived in Kentucky, they called that getting the big head. <laughs> in order that I don't get the big head, he says I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't ever get to hear any more explanation about what that is, whether that's a physical ailment or something else. But anyway, it's something that really causes him pain and causes him uh, um, anxiety. He wants this taken away from him. He calls it a messenger of Satan to torment me. And apparently it had gotten to an unbearable level at least three times. Three times, he says, he just poured it out before the Lord and asked the Lord to take it away from me, he says in verse 8. And you know what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. There's no indication here that it was because Paul didn't pray right or that He didn't pray well enough or that he didn't have the kind of close relationship with God that he needed. There's no indication that it's anything like that or or punishment for his past sins. Paul had let Jesus wash all those sins away already. Three times he prayed, and it didn't happen. Jesus himself had a similar situation in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he died. We see in the Gospels, you can see it in Luke 21 and the other ones as well. He goes away by himself in the garden, and he prays. And you remember what he prays? He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This cup, he means like this, this suffering and dying that's about to happen. He asks God, God, if you're willing Hey, let, let me get out of this let me not have to go through this but we all know that's not what happened he, he suffered and he died for us my point here is this these are not unanswered prayers these are not unanswered prayers these prayers got an answer and the answer was no no is an answer. Sometimes when we pray, God says no. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says yes, but not right now. Wait, wait, wait for the right time. <clears throat> Here's what the scripture teaches us. God answers every prayer. God answers every prayer. Yes, no, no or wait God answers every prayer and when we get a no that is not God failing to answer us that is a real answer you know when you call a company on the phone and you get that recording thank you for calling xyz please listen to our list of options Okay, you know it's going to be a long time. And then you end up getting stuck on hold, listening to this message that says, this is my favorite one, your call is important to us. Please stay on the line. I have to admit, after I've heard that message over and over again, I think, if my call was that important to you, you would hire enough people to answer your phone, right? And not make me wait 25 minutes on hold. Your call is important to us. Sometimes prayer feels like that. Like we're just getting that message. Your call is important to us. Hang on. It can be tempting to think that's what's happening when we pray for something and we don't get a yes. It's the enemy that whispers in our ear. The enemy that's the tempter. He tempts us not to trust God, the enemy whispers, you're stuck on hold. God's not going to pick up. Your call's not important to him. He's got much bigger, important people to listen to. When that happens, we need to hear the truth. The truth with a capital T. The truth that he has graciously provided for us in the scriptures. The truth that God answers every prayer. Isaiah 65 24 says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God hears us. God answers every prayer. Sometimes God answers with a yes. There are certain prayers that God will always answer with a yes. He tells us that in Scripture. When we call out to him and ask him to save us, we want to put our lives in his hands. We want to claim that salvation that Jesus won for us on the cross. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't say, wait. He doesn't say, I don't know if I want you or not. He says, yes. Whenever we call out to him to be saved, it says in Acts 2.21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He always says yes to that. He always says yes when we cry out and, says, and say, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. Isaiah 42.3 says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. God is a merciful God. When we ask God to make us strong, to face temptation, that's another one he will always say yes to. God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 10 says. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Scripture tells us God loves to give good gifts to his children. When it would work out for the good, God loves to say yes. So sometimes that answer we get from God is a yes. Sometimes God says, wait. God's timing is not our timing. God tends to work things out a lot slower than we would. I was uh, reading through Exodus last year, and I decided not to do what I had been doing, which was reading through the Bible in a year, which means you gotta kind of fly through things. I decided I was just gonna take my time. So I was reading through Exodus really slowly, and I was struck as I spent day after day after day reading through that part of Exodus where the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And God is slowly working out this plan to set them free. He's called Moses. And Moses has finally grown up to be an old man. And then he sends him back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh. And then there's the first plague. But Pharaoh still doesn't say yes. And then there's the second plague, and Pharaoh still doesn't say yes. There's ten plagues. About halfway through, I was like, man, God could have done this with one plague. Why did he make it ten? I think if I was Moses, I would have been like, God, am I hearing you right? Do we have to try this ten times before it works? God's timing is so much slower than ours. Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament, who are John the Baptist's parents, they prayed for a child for years. Not just one year. Five years. Ten years. They prayed for decades before God answered that prayer. God's timing is so much slower than ours is. There's a story of a, a man who was trying to understand the nature of God, and and God, and he said to, to, to the Lord, God, how long is a million years to you? And God said, a million years is like a minute. And the man said, well, God, how much is a million dollars to you? And God said, a million dollars is like a penny. Finally, the man asked, God, could you give me a penny? (laughs) And God said, in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) My thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. Isaiah 55. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wait, is sometimes the answer that we get from God, because God can see the big, big picture, and God knows it's not the right time yet. Sometimes we get the answer of wait, because there's some work that we need to do inside, that God wants us to have this opportunity to grow. There's barriers that need to be taken care of. Maybe we are being disobedient to God in a certain area, And he needs us to experience the consequences of that. Sometimes we pray with wrong motives. I love the book of James because it's so straightforward. If you're looking for a good, straightforward, like, kicking the shins to get going on your Christian life, the book of James is it. It's nice and practical. Listen to what James says in chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He kind of lays it right out there. He's not a seeker-sensitive preacher at all, is he? He says, you don't get a yes to your prayers because you're just asking for selfish things. And then he gives a solution farther down, starting with verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, "So, so what should you do about this? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Sometimes we need to do that kind of soul work and really get right with the Lord before the door is open. That's why we get a weight sometimes. Sometimes that, that barrier within us is unforgiveness. Jesus clearly taught that if we Do not open the door of forgiveness to others. that We ourselves cannot walk through that door. We can't be forgiven if we have locked the door of forgiveness against someone else. So we need to forgive others in order to be forgiven. Sometimes God answers, wait in order for us to do some soul work. Parents know if you're child comes to you and asks for something we all know sometimes it's better not to give them what they want right away many many of you probably had to work for your first car right because your parents said to you that's not the kind of thing i want to just give you but if you work for it it'll make you a better person sometimes god wants us to marinate instead of microwave you know what i mean He seems to be a marinade versus microwave kind of a person. That's why we get a wait sometimes. And sometimes the answer is just no. Sometimes God hears our prayers, looks at the whole situation and says, no, no. Paul got an answer of no to his prayer. You know, it seems like there's a million reasons why yes would have been a good thing. I mean, here's Paul, an apostle, the most effective apostle that the church had for for bringing the good news of Jesus, of salvation, to a whole new part of the world. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, wouldn't having this thorn in the flesh removed make him more effective, if he was healthy and well. And he was giving his life and suffering for the Lord. Couldn't God do this thing for him? There's a million reasons why it seems like a yes would have been a great idea, but God said no because he showed Paul he had something better for him than a yes. Three times. It says in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes the answer is no, because God has something better for us. You've heard the saying, be careful what you pray for. Sometimes We pray for something, and in hindsight, we can see, oh, it's so good God said no to that. St. Teresa of Avila said, more tears are shed over answered prayers than unanswered ones, or ones that were answered no, because we know God answers every prayer. Paul came to learn that there was something wonderful about God that he never would have experienced if that answer had been yes that he came to understand that our God is a God who makes his power known in weakness. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong because then God's power rests on me. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that Paul figured that out so that he could share it with us. Because if God's power is made perfect, not just better, but perfect in weakness, man, that is good news for me, because I am often weak. That is good news for you. That is good news for our broken world. We wouldn't have that clear demonstration of that if God had answered Paul's prayer with a yes. My power is made perfect in weakness, God told him. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Wow, delight. I'm not there yet. I'd like to get there. But I have a bad feeling that the only way to get there (laughs) is to experience more weakness. (laughs) That's how God works. Paul says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Man, I do not want those things on my to-do list this week. But Christ's power will be made perfect in those things. Paul finishes this by saying, when I am weak, then I am strong. That is amazing. And we would not have gotten that if God had said yes to Paul's prayers to take that thorn in the flesh away. Jesus, too. He wanted that suffering and death taken away so he could avoid it if he could, but Do you remember how he ended that prayer? He said, God, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. This is the key, I think, to understanding those passages that say, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, he will do. We see from Jesus that some prayers get answered with a no. And, and that helps us to use scripture to interpret scripture. That's what we always want to do when we have a question mark that scripture raises. We always want to find scripture to help us answer that question. So we have this question, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do. And we have this question, but even Jesus got a no to his prayers. I think that little phrase, not my will but yours, is the key to putting those two together. Always, always, always we need to ask that God's will would be done. Then he will do what we ask. He will do what he knows is best. God answers every prayer. That is good news. He answers with a yes or a no or a wait. God answers every prayer. We do not have to fear that our prayers will go unanswered. Jesus said that He pays attention, God pays attention to every little bird, every sparrow that falls from the sky. He knows the number of hair on our heads. If He cares about us that much, how could He not listen? when we pour out our hearts to him, God answers every prayer. Now I realize this is not an easy topic. This is not just a theoretical topic. It's very personal. It's very painful. I know there are losses in this room that just take your breath away. Last night I had the privilege of going to the the child advocacy program dinner to raise money. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the child advocacy program, but they care for children in our county who have been abused. And man, those stories of just how many children are abused just in our community, they take my breath away. And that's just one little thing we could fill this room with a list of things that we would like to see God change. There's something in us that expects that God will protect us or, or keep bad things from happening to us. And if he doesn't, we feel like, God, what's up? You've broken your part of the deal. But part of growing into mature Christians, is growing to understand that God in his wisdom did not create this world to be a place where nothing bad happens. We can't really grasp why that is, why he set this whole world in motion the way he did. But he did not seem to be interested in creating a world in which evil could not leave a mark on us. We can rage against that, And that's okay that we do. The Psalms are there to help us. We can say it shouldn't be that way, but at the end of the day, it is that way. That's the world that we live in. So at the end of the day, we're faced with this question. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? At the end of the day, whose wisdom and goodness do I really think is greater Mine, which says, he shouldn't have made the world this way. Or God, who made up the whole idea of wisdom and goodness to begin with, who is wisdom and goodness, to to trust God, to say, in that choice between my wisdom and goodness and God's, I'm going to put my money on God. That's faith. That's what faith is. That's what it means to put our lives in God's hands. And that's what Jesus is modeling for us in prayer here. And he says, not my will, but yours be done. That's why Paul could rejoice in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in difficulties, in persecutions. God's power made perfect in weakness. Weakness makes space in our lives like nothing else. God can do stuff in the cracks of our lives that he could never do when everything is all paved over and beautiful. Those cracks open us up to the presence of God. And that's really the whole point of prayer. Being open to the presence of God. Oswald Chambers challenges us with this thought. Listen to what he says. Whenever we insist that God should give us an answer to prayer, we are off track. The purpose of prayer is that we get a hold of God, not Of the answer. The purpose of prayer is that we get a hold of God and then we find that's all we need. Somehow, in the midst of weakness and difficulty, God becomes enough. We don't know how, but we know that's what happens. God answers every prayer. Even when it's a no, it's okay because. His grace is sufficient. I love that word, sufficient. His grace is enough. It's enough to fill all those cracks. Are you faced with a situation that you have prayed over and prayed over and prayed over and and you haven't seemed to get an answer? Or at least you haven't gotten a yes I don't know how it will all work out, and I don't say that lightly because I know these are important things that we pray over. I don't know how it will all work out, but I do know this His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for me. Will you say that? His grace is sufficient for me. In weakness, His grace, say it with me, His grace is sufficient for me. In insults, His grace is sufficient for me. In hardships, His grace is sufficient for me. In persecutions, His grace is sufficient for me. In difficulties, His grace is sufficient for me. When we are weak, then we are strong. That's a miracle, God's grace is sufficient for us. Lord, we need to claim your grace right now because there are a lot of cracks in our lives, a lot of weaknesses and difficulties that we would love to see you take away or heal up or figure out for us. We don't know what your plan is all the time. That's a great, great mystery, but we do know that you are with us. So, Lord, we just simply step out in faith again today. We put ourselves in your hands, and we claim your grace. Amen.